Our reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, and reading the first 15 verses. Jesus and the disciples went across the lake to the region of the Gessarenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torment me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Well, thanks, Doug. Thanks to you for joining us. And a big thank you to Polly and Caitlin for sharing your testimonies with us. Uh, It's always so encouraging to hear someone testify about the work of God in their lives uh, and even more encouraging to then see them express their faith in Jesus through the waters of baptism. So thank you for allowing us to share your baptism with the whole church. Uh, Today, we're going to continue our little mini-series in the lead-up to Christmas. Uh, Simply, we've called Good News, the good news that Jesus is and continues uh, to do uh, in our lives and all across our world. And today, we look at a passage that has to be one of the most iconic passages in the life and ministry of Jesus. And to be fair, there's probably a whole lot of passages that fall into that category, 20 or 30 of them. Um, But this one continues to stand out uh, in my mind and is easily remembered. So we're just simply going to work through the passage today, verse by verse, and I'll wrap up at the end with an invitation, an encouragement, and a gentle challenge as well. So make sure you do open up your Bibles. We're in Mark chapter 5, and we're just going to journey through the passage together. But as you're opening up your Bibles, and, and just as we begin, I want you to consider this question. If you could sit down opposite Jesus and ask him to set you free from any one thing, what would it be? Now, if I may, allow me to give a little extra direction to that question. What I mean is, if you could ask Jesus to set you free from any one thing that stands between you and who you believe God is calling you to be, what would that ask be? Or if you could ask Jesus to set you free from any one thing that stands between you and experiencing life as God intends for you to experience it, what would that one thing be? What would you ask him to set you free from? Well, Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, Mark records for us that they went across the lake, they being Jesus and his disciples, to the region of the Gerasenes. So straight away, Mark is setting the context for where this story takes place. 
both geographically, but also where this fits in the life and ministry of Jesus. He references for us something that's obviously just happened, where they've come from. Um, another significant event, which I think helps us understand this passage, and we'll come back to that at the end, uh, but also geographically where this happens. This happens south of a small village, Gergesia or Gersa, Kersa, on the southeast shore of Lake Galilee. And we read, um, when Jesus got out of the boat, verse 2, a man with an impure spirit came from the tomb to meet him. Now, this will set up what is a very one-sided power confrontation. Uh, interestingly for Mark's readers, there has already been tension recorded between Jesus and the religious leaders around Jesus' ability to set people free from impure spirits. And in Mark uh, chapter 3, uh, the religious leaders of the day are so unwilling to recognize that Jesus' power and authority are from God and of God that they actually accuse him, <laughs> they accuse Jesus of having an impure spirit. And back in chapter 3, Jesus responds by pointing out how ridiculous and how nonsensical such an accusation is. Why would someone with an impure spirit be able to Uh, exercise an impure spirit. A house divided against itself cannot stand, he said in chapter 3. And yet here in chapter 5, what we see demonstrated is how Jesus will use his power and authority. Jesus uses his power and authority to set free, to rescue, to deliver, to restore, to make new, to make right once again that which had become broken to be and to bring the good news of God's saving power. Nothing impure about Jesus' power and his authority and the way he uses it. And we'll also see demonstrated the opposite. We'll see demonstrated what being possessed by an impure spirit actually looks like. Now, this man's case is an extreme manifestation of demonic power and influence. An influence that is used in the biblical scholar William Lane's words, to distort and to destroy the image of God in a person's life. And that's exactly what we've seen has taken place. And so we read in verse 3 that this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out, and cut himself with stones. Now, don't gloss over this man's condition as if he were some nameless, faceless character by which Jesus demonstrates his power. This is an eyewitness account of an actual event of a real flesh and blood human like you and me. This was someone's son, almost certainly was someone's brother, In a small village on the Lake of Galilee, he would have been known by all. And so we assume that he once was someone or quite a few people's friend as well. And yet now what we see is this picture of someone deeply in the grip of a dark and a destructive power. Someone who's stuck in a habitual uh, lifestyle of isolation and self-sabotage, far from the ideal version of himself and far from experiencing the fullness of life that God would intend for him to live. But there are people who are still for him. Like I know we might read verse 4, him him being chained up as sort of barbaric and and inhumane. But I think it's a a demonstration that people actually care about him. 
care enough about trying to prevent him harming himself and probably a little bit care about him not harming others in the village as well. The trouble is they simply do not have the resources or the strength or the ability to actually help him. I mean, verse 5 just drives home the hopelessness, doesn't it, of the man's condition and how helpless those who watched on must have felt that no one, there was no one strong enough to subdue him. And let's be real for a second. I know all too well that many of you know what it's like to watch someone do that spiral down, taken captive to something more powerful than you feel that you can face. And you feel helpless. Like Even in my own limited circles, you know, I've watched a family friend have to bury her brother because of an addiction to alcohol. I know of marriages torn apart by gambling addictions. I've been to the funerals of friends who've taken their life. And we don't even have all the time, do we, to list the ways that people are held captive. Pride, unforgiveness, shame, past abuse, depression, anxiety, insecurity, sexual compulsions, comparison, materialism. The list just goes on and on. Maybe you know in your own life what it is to be so gripped by something that you feel like you'll never be free of it. Maybe actually you recognize the pattern of verse 5. A cycle of self-destruction. Patterns that constantly sabotage who you want to become. Habits so ingrained that they feel automatic. As if you simply are not able to do or be or think any differently. So I want to return to that opening question. Did you give yourself an honest enough answer? If you could sit down opposite Jesus and ask him to set you free from one thing what would it be? Well, thankfully, verse 5 is not the end of the man's story, uh, nor does our current experience of captivity need to be the end of ours either. And so we read from verse 6 that when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torment me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. I want you to note two things particularly about this passage. Um, The first is that it's not the man who is speaking. It's his captor, or, or more correctly, his captors. And what has held him captive is completely subservient in the presence of Jesus. Right, Legion, these demons that have possessed him, rightfully recognize who Jesus is. He is the son of the most high God. And they know that they are completely powerless to do anything other than what Jesus wants. And I think there's a little challenge in there for us as well, I think. When demons have a better understanding of Jesus' power than the religious leaders, we might want to take note of that. You see, the things that hold us captive all bow down to the power and authority of Jesus. So don't for a second believe that that which has power over you is more powerful than the one who has power over them. Does that make sense? Don't believe that whatever holds you captive has more power over you than Jesus has over the thing that holds you captive. The second thing to note here is that the man's captor self-identifies as legion. Uh, Legion being the term to describe a unit within the Roman army, numbering several thousands, usually around that four to six mark. 
So this reveals not only the sheer amount of impure spirits that this man is being held captive by, but it also speaks to the violent and destructive nature of what grips him. And yet, powerless in the presence of Jesus. All they can do is to plead and to beg for mercy. And I think there's no small irony here that the man's tormentor pleads to be spared torment. That is being sent to their eternal judgment immediately by Jesus. Uh, Instead, in verse 12, we read that the demons begged Jesus, send us out among the pigs, allow us to go into them. Jesus gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. All right, I think it's fair to say that everyone who reads this passage always asks the same question. Why the pigs, Jesus? All that bacon, what a waste, right? Now, before you go calling the animal welfare organization, Peter, to dob on Jesus, right? I do want to point out that Jesus does not send or drive or command the demons into the pigs. This is not at his initiation. He simply allows or gives permission for what they had already planned to do. Maybe that's semantics. So so why did he allow it? The short answer is we're not entirely sure. And there have been a range of theories proposed over the years. Uh, Some of the more imaginative ones um, include suggesting that the pig owners um, were Jews who either ignored and broke that Old Testament um, restriction around the eating of pork products, or maybe they just sold the pork, finding a little bit of a loophole in the law. It's like, well, we're not allowed to eat it, but did God say we're not allowed to profit from it? (laughs) I don't know. I think it's fair to say that's pretty unlikely and a bit fanciful, though. This is a very Gentile area that is a non-Jewish area. And where else in the Gospels do you see Jesus deliberately try and punish someone for breaking ceremonial law? You don't. It would be very out of character for him to do so. I think the far more likely explanation of why Jesus allows it is in order for it to be a visible and a physical demonstration of what has just taken place in the spiritual. The herd was about 2,000 pigs, as Marx records. What an incredible picture of the sheer amount of demons that possessed this one man. And what an incredible picture of the freedom that Jesus had just brought in his life. Now, we don't know, it's not recorded for us in Matthew, Mark or Luke, um, whether the demons drove the pigs into the sea, into the lake, or whether the pigs um, drove the demons, so to speak, uh, into the lake. But either way, it's a graphic end to both of them. And while that's eye-opening for the disciples and anyone else who was there, imagine how powerful seeing that demonstration is to the man who's just been set free. He doesn't have to ask himself, are they really gone? He doesn't have to wonder if the demons are just being quiet until Jesus leaves the area. He sees them leave and enter something else. And in seeing the destruction of the pigs, what he really sees is the destruction of that which held him captive. He had been set free. And so the story ends with a man restored to his right mind. He has been delivered, saved, gifted new life. And that transformation is so stark and powerful that it's actually confronting 
even scary to those who come out to witness it from the village. Well, we started our series by declaring that Jesus is and continues to be good news to us today. And he is. This same Jesus, with the same power and the same authority, continues to be at work to redeem and set free and deliver people today. You know, under his hand, he continues to shepherd all who are willing into the fullness of life that he intends for us. And so I want to leave you with, as I said, an invitation and encouragement and a challenge. The invitation is hopefully really clear that you can at any time reach out and cry to Jesus to set you free from whatever is holding you captive. You know, that answer to the question that you asked yourself at the beginning doesn't have to remain simply identified and, act, and not acted upon. It can be lifted to Jesus. Now, I know some of the things that, that hold us captive in our life can, can, can look insurmountable at times or can feel like it's impossible that I could ever be set free from this. And so I want to just zoom out a little bit and show you the context of this passage. You see, the end of Mark chapter 4, we have the story of Jesus calming the storm. And so we have this incredible demonstration of Jesus' power and his authority over the very forces of nature. And it is so absolute and it is so challenging uh, that the disciples, those who know him the closest, even they were terrified and asked each other, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Right after this passage in Mark chapter 5, again in Mark chapter 5 from verse 21, uh, Jesus both heals the sick and he raises the dead. This powerful demonstration over sickness and even death itself. And then in the middle, you've got this clear demonstration of Jesus' power and his authority over the demonic and the things that hold people captive. And kind of taken together, you're left in this sort of awe and wonder zone of, like, is there anything that does not come under the power and authority of Jesus? And of course, the answer is no. All things come under the power and the authority of Jesus, including that which holds you captive. So once again, don't for a second believe that whatever that is for you has more power over you than Jesus has over it. So come to him, reach out to him, invite him to deliver and set you free. As for the encouragement, that's simple. For those things that you have already been set free from by Jesus, don't return to them. The New Testament records that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He has freed us in order that we may continue to be free and continue living a life of freedom from those things that once bound us and held us captive. And so the instruction is, so don't make yourself a slave again to those things. For the things that you've already been set free from by Jesus, don't return to them. As for the challenge, well, it comes in the interaction that the man has with Jesus, right as Jesus is about to leave. Mark records for us that as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, past tense, you'll note, begged to go with him. But Jesus did not let him. Instead, he said, Go to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. 
you know, your story of transformation, of being set free, your testimony of freedom could be the very thing that catalyzes the story of transformation and freedom in the life of another. And I think it's all too easy for us to be quiet about those things that once held us captive, those behaviors or those attitudes that we once found ourselves struggling with and grappling with. Maybe we have deep shame over the some of the stuff that Christ has set us free from. What it means is we end up being a little bit quiet when it comes to our testimonies and sharing the difference that Jesus makes in our life. Sure, we talk about the big stuff being reconciled to God and having all of our sins forgiven. And yet for many of us, there are very, very specific things where the victory of Jesus is demonstrated in our lives. And so I think the little challenge for us is to be a little bit more hard on the sleeve, maybe a little bit more loud, a little bit more vocal about the transformation that Christ has done in us in setting us free from those things that held us captive because we want that for others as well. So an invitation, an encouragement and a challenge. The good news of Jesus is that he is powerful and that he is good and that his ministry is to break chains, to set us free from the things that hold us back from experiencing life as he has come to give it to us. So whatever it is for you today, I encourage you to reach out to him and to others. Name it. Ask for Jesus to intervene and set you free. By the power of Holy Spirit, by the power of the name of Jesus, according to the good will and purpose of God the Father, I pray that he will do just that. Bless your heaps.